My father had bad knees. And if he had to stand up and sit down and stand up and worship, he'd let me hear about it for months. So I apologize. I didn't catch that in the bulletin. If any of you were doing those exercises there, I tried to not make that happen. <clears throat> Would you join me in a word of prayer? Gracious and holy God, we thank you that you call to us to follow and to live in your spirit. May we hear your call to us, rise up and follow as we come before you in scripture. May your spirit speak to us anew. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, is where we hear our parable as we continue our parable series this summer. Listen for the word of the Lord. Jesus is speaking, beginning with verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten young women took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those young women got up and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. While they went to buy it, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the other young women came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is a series on parables. Jesus taught in parables, and some would say Jesus was a parable. So it is important. Week by week, we learn a little bit more of what these parables are about. This week in particular, I want to raise an image in your mind that, that uh, encountering a parable is something like a bit of jujitsu. I mean, you think you know what it means, and you come at it knowing how to master it, but all of a sudden it grabs you by the lapels and flips you on, the, on your back. And there, laying on the ground, looking up, it's a humbling experience, and the world looks different from down there. It's kind of like the Old Testament story of Jacob wrestling with God. God tosses Jacob to the ground and puts his hip out of joint, and Jacob walks differently forever after. And I think if we let that parable do some jujitsu on us, then we're going to walk differently in our lives. So that's our basic rule for parables, and, and you might term it like this. If a parable does not offend you, 
scandalize you or throw you to the ground, then somehow you may have missed what the parable was saying. Because these are dramatic, dynamic, uh, disorienting pieces of literature in these small stories that Jesus tells. So we come to the parable of the ten bridesmaids. Now that's a comfortable image, isn't it? We've all gone to weddings. We know what weddings are about. And we know what it is to be in a wedding party. It's it's an honor to be chosen to be part of the wedding party. And there are certain things you have to do to prepare. Did you pick up your tux, your shoes? Did you get your dress? Did you get your flower? So now we think about this parable and we think, uh, you know, well, there's some little things in our lives that we've done to be prepared. uh, This parable must be saying something like the Boy Scout motto, be prepared. (laughs) But if that's all we think, then maybe we have missed the main point because it's not scandalous to say be prepared. Look again at the ten bridesmaids. A second way that you're liable to hear this parable interpreted is that this parable is really about the second coming of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom. The wedding's coming. Okay, it's been 2,000 years. He's taken his sweet time, but it's his party, right? But you better be ready. Well, if that's the interpretation, did it really need to be told all these years? And how does it really affect our daily life? Judging others is another part that that interpretation ends up doing, um, that that we judge others, that we're on the inside, they're on the outside. And when I hear that interpretation, it makes me think of an episode of Seinfeld. (laughs) Elaine is with her boyfriend, Putty. Putty, like his name, is not the brightest bulb in the pack, but he's a a born-again Christian, and, and she wonders why he isn't trying to convert her. I mean, she says, aren't you worried about me going to hell, all the heat and the devils and the heat? And Putty says, it's going to be hot. (laughs) It's going to be rough. (laughs) Yeah, if we divide the world into insiders and outsiders, and clearly we are the insiders, well, then for the rest of the world, all we can say is it's going to be rough. But, you know, you stop and think about the whole of Jesus' message. And in the whole of Jesus' message, he was pretty hard on the self-righteous people. And that way of interpreting this passage is pretty self-righteous. So maybe we need to look further. Maybe it's not so much of an us versus them message. Wrestle with this story. Wrestle with this parable. Another crucial factor about parables, and this is something that as you look at them over time, you begin to realize that these parables say nothing directly about God. God isn't mentioned in the parables. Remember, these are Jesus' stories. So he wants to make us think about something. He wants to make us think about our ordinary secular lives that somehow there's something that happens there that's crucial. It's not just about being in the church. It's about our everyday lives. So we have these 10 bridesmaids waiting for a wedding. It's taking time. They're delayed and everybody falls asleep. The scandal's not that they fall asleep because everybody does it. But then there comes this unexpected moment. The groom comes. He's almost here. The word goes out. There is a sense in this of divine unexpectedness. The unexpectedness of God. 
that, that, that is part of what we shape our faith to be ready for. Are we ready for the unexpected God who's going to come to us in our everyday ordinary lives? Are we ready to meet the divine? Are we treading toward the transcendent? African-American writer James Cone has a book on the spirituals and the blues, and we've got some spirituals and blues in the service this morning to reflect that. And what, what he says is the transcendent will only be meaningful when it is made real in and through the limits of historical existence. In and through the limits of historical existence. Our everyday lives is where the transcendent happens. I hear that uh, and, and heard something on the news this week. It sparked a memory for me. Um, the novelist, Mila, uh, Milan Kundera, uh, passed away this week. He wrote that book, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, uh, a, a profound book that I read a, quite a number of years ago. The story opens in Czechoslovakia in 1968. There's two characters in particular, Thomas and Teresa. Thomas is a surgeon and a womanizer. He only cares about his work and his carnal pleasures. But he meets Teresa, uh, an activist photographer. They end up getting married, and at first it does not change Thomas at all. Um, but then the Soviets invade Czechoslovakia, so the two of them flee to Switzerland. Once they're there, they're free, and, and, and life, is, life is good. But Teresa can't stand it because what she says of the lightness of it all She's not engaged in, in what really matters. So she goes back to Czechoslovakia, leaving Thomas behind, and Thomas has to decide, will he stay in this lovely neutral place where he's safe and life is easy, or will he follow his true love, and will he follow her back into the challenge of his generation? He decides to follow. He goes back. At the, at the border, his passport is confiscated. Later on, his medical license is taken away. They tell him they'll, they'll give it back to him if he recants uh, an article that he had risen, written against the regime, but, but he refuses. And so he's no longer allowed to be a surgeon. He becomes a window washer. And then he becomes a farmer as they go out into the country. And, and as the book says, the two of them out in the country experience something like the Garden of Eden in this place of oppression. They experience the Garden of Eden. Thomas went back. He had oil in his lamp. He had a sense of existential courage that guided him to, to change his life from the meaninglessness of not being involved into that sense of existential courage that God gives to us. And he was truly alive. I want to quote Krundera from the book. He says, The heavier the burden, the closer our lives come to the earth, the more real they become. Conversely, the absolute absence of burden causes human beings to be lighter than air, to soar into heights, to take leave of the earth and its earthly being, and become only half real. That's where the story 
of Kandera connects with me with the five foolish maidens. The five foolish who had no oil in their lamps. They had no oil in their lamps. They, had, they were not real, only half real. And, and maybe that's why the bridegroom locks the door and says, really, I have no idea who you are. I have no idea what you stand for. I don't know you. For that moment when Christ calls us to live like Christians, do we know what to do? And do we have the courage to do it? The five foolish bridesmaids were not burning. They had no passion. They had no light. And there we come, I believe, to the true scandal. The scandal of this parable. The five wise bridesmaids will not share with the five foolish bridesmaids. What's up with that? Aren't we Christians supposed to be all about being nice and sharing everything we have? Why so stingy? Well, pay attention to the story and you see that it's not that the bridesmaids, the foolish ones, didn't have their shoes or their dress or their hair done. They didn't have the light they can't see. That's what faith is about. Faith is a way of seeing. And we have to have the resources, the oil that, that lets us live in the light to be able to see what's real and what matters, where to go and where the party is, the party to which Christ is inviting us. But the truth of the matter is, the five wise bridesmaids cannot share with the five foolish ones because there's some things you cannot transfer. We can share our faith, but we cannot give it. We can't make somebody believe. We can talk with them about our experiences. We can share scripture passages. We can pray with them. But we can't give our faith to them. According to this story, you have to go to the source. You have to go to the source. That's pointing to God. You have to go to the source because faith is something we can share but we cannot give. So the wise say to the foolish, go, search, buy, which is to sacrifice. Go to the source, the authentic encounter with God. It's the only way. And so we live our lives trying to practice and pray and do service and read scripture and share in communion and search for Christ and to, in the spirit, be inspired. We're searching for that authentic experience of God. And maybe, maybe it comes when we experience real forgiveness. Have you claimed that you really are forgiven by God? That you really are loved? Really are loved by God? Have you seen that everything you have is a gift of God? And it's really a gift. Do you have the light to see all these things that are from the source? 
And do you have that sense of community that comes of, of people of faith being together and experiencing that love together? It's the source that speaks in the midst of the community. We have an hour, we have a time, we have a moment to prepare for this. And then the hour may come and it may go and we may have missed it. And we may miss the meaning of our lives and then live in the regret. And the regret hollows us out. What was it that the philosopher Thomas Hobbes said? Hell is truth seen too late. Hell, truth seen too late. There are moments that we have in our lives and we have to be ready for those moments. Not at the end of time, but in the midst of our lives, we have to be ready or it passes us by and we live with the regret. But the good news is that it's not too late. Why else would Jesus tell us this story? Jesus tells us this story because this story can change our story there's still time for us to get ready for the celebration, for the party, for the wedding. So then when you look at this story again, you kind of wonder, maybe this story about the 10 bridesmaids is not about us figuring out, well, am I one of the five, the wise, or one of the five foolish? Maybe we are, each and every one of us, both. And there's a tug inside of us, sometimes for the wisdom and sometimes for the foolish decisions. And, and there's always this temptation to choose the easier one over the harder one, but, but it's that choice that defines us and helps us to connect with the source of life and light that God is. I think uh, these parables of Jesus are not easy. What Jesus talks about is not obvious, it's subtle, and it's on God's own timetable. We really can miss the point of our lives, so it's about us examining ourselves and wondering, yet again, do I need to go to the source? and deepen that understanding, that connection, that guidance that's we're, that we're given. It's not about the end of time, it's about in the midst of time, and it may come multiple times for us. It could be any time. But remember, it's about a wedding. <laughs> it's about a wedding that we're being invited to, uh, a, a time of joy and celebration and connection. The parables are aiming us to try to examine our lives and look again and to say, are we the wise ones? Are we the foolish ones? Are we the ones today making one or the other of those decisions? And the bottom line is, are we ready? There was a songwriter, Bob Lind. Uh, Bob Lind had one hit song that he sang uh, the Elusive Butterfly of Love, and if you recognize that song, that dates you. <laughs> but he wrote over 300 other songs and poems and screenplays, 
And when he was inducted into a, a hall of fame, he said something that, that really resonated with me in relationship to this, this scripture passage. Um, even though it was in a very secular setting, he said, he said about the artwork he created, he said, you create these things and you hope. You hope that people get it. You can't make them get it. You can't trick them into getting it. But when they get it, it's the sweetest thing in the world. I wonder if maybe Jesus feels something of that way when we get it. When we fill our flasks and have oil in our lamps and when we're ready to burn with the passion of God's grace and God's love, when we see the light, it's the sweetest thing in the world. In relationship to this scripture passage, there's one song that haunts me more than any other. It's a song that captures so much of what this parable is about, though it's a very secular song in, in some ways. Billie Holiday wrote it, a jazz blues singer, and Blood, Sweat, and Tears did their own version at Woodstock. God bless the child. It's a song that, that kind of has bookends. On the front and back ends, it's about the, the blues. And in the middle of the song, at least the blood, sweat, and tears version, there is this jazz party celebration. You can hardly keep yourself from dancing to it. God bless the child, it says. So the Bible says it still is news. Mama may have and Papa may have, but God bless the child who's got their own. Keep ready, the lamp full, the celebration is coming. Are you ready? You can't find your way through borrowed faith. You can't find your way through borrowed faith. Make it authentic, search, go to the source, and then God bless the child, amen.